thousand years, um, our teaching is, is that it is our responsibility and our desire that we tell people about Jesus. We tell the story. And over the last few weeks, um, I have been teaching on the importance that as, as Jesus followers that we've been placed on purpose to tell our story and that our story is life transforming, that there's this emphasis that we are for people, that we want people to know that we are for them so that they can see that there is a God who is for them and there's a Jesus who is for them. And, and, uh, and it's been wonderful to be able to work through some scriptures and see that it is God's heart that, that we grow. It is God's heart that people come to know Jesus, that it's God's heart and command that we share this story. So the question this morning that I want to answer on, on top of all of that whether you are a, a Christian, somebody who's been following Jesus for many years, or somebody who's just on a bit of a journey that you're exploring faith and you're asking questions, there's a, there's a big overriding question as to why uh, what you, this, this idea, this belief that we should tell people about Jesus and seek growth. And it is simply this, why share the story and seek church growth? Why share the story? Why must we tell people about Jesus? Because you could argue that it's none of our business what people think and believe. That God can just do what God is doing. That we remain faithful. That as Christians we should keep out of people's businesses. It's rude to tell people how they should be living their lives. It's, it's rude to assume that what people believe, if they're not a Christian, is wrong. And why, why do we have this focus? Why don't we just let God be God? If we really believe that God is powerful, then why don't we just let Him do His work and we'll just stick to what we know? Why the emphasis on Alpha? Why the emphasis on telling people about Jesus? Why are we always talking about church growth? Why is that a big deal? These are big questions. And questions that you may be answering. What is the big? Why can't we just stay as we are? What's the big deal? And you know what? Honestly, as a pastor, and I've been a pastor in Willow Park Church South now almost for eight years. As a pastor, it would be way easier if we didn't have this focus. If we weren't focused on sharing our story, if we weren't focused on telling people about Jesus, if we weren't focused on church growth, it would be much, much easier. It could be the church equivalent of Cheers. Do you remember that show? Where everybody knows your name. That you come into church and you come into church with the same person for the last however many years and it's wonderful because, you know, let's just stay the way we are. Let's just, let's just not tell anyone because this is awesome. And it would be much easier. Like Nicole and I and the lead team, and, and we would just, it, it would be easy. It would be, it would be really easy. It'd be boring, but it'd be really easy. I was chatting with uh, Lyndon the other day, and we were talking about Alpha, because one of the things that we're doing in Alpha, and for those of you who don't know, Alpha is, a, is, a, uh, is a, uh, a series of videos that we gather together, we watch these videos, 15, 20 minutes long, and then they're videos that ask big questions about life, and they are purposely designed for somebody who is just exploring Christianity and God and what the meaning of life is. And so it's an amazing course. And we're starting to run Alpha in our community groups. So rather than bringing people into church, we're actually doing it in homes and we watch the video. And it's a wonderful opportunity for you. If you don't know Jesus, you're just exploring. It's a great opportunity for you to go along and join uh, an Alpha group with a group of people who are, who are wonderful people. Trust me, I know our community groups. 
and uh, it's a safe environment to ask questions, and that's what we want to be as a church. If you're interested in Alpha, then go and, uh, go and talk to somebody at Connect Desk. They would love to help you. But I was talking to Lyndon, and Lyndon said, this was his words. This is the second time I'm quoting Lyndon. Uh, so Lyndon, you're doing a good job. You're speaking into my life. I love it. It's great. He said, there's an urgency. Lyndon's now going to be thinking, I've got to be careful about everything I say to Pastor Glenn, because he remembers. I do. <laughs> like I remember what Joseph said in his boat where we were bobbing around on Wood Lake. I, I remember. He said, there's an urgency. There's an urgency. People need to know about Jesus. People need Alpha. Why? Why? As a young Christian, and after I became a Christian, very passionate about Jesus, I, I almost immediately started to preach. My dad is sat right there, and he'll remember these days as an 18-, 19-year-old who really didn't know very much at all, but had bags of enthusiasm. Uh, I, was, uh, I had people take risks with me and ask me to preach in various places, and, and so I had the opportunity to speak in different churches and even travel around Europe in our early years of being married, married and it was great, but... The kind of the week in, week out places that I used to preach were the Welsh chapels in North Wales. The Welsh chapels. These chapels sprung up after the revival. They're amazing buildings. And sometimes you would have a tiny little village with a, with a street that's maybe 150, 200 yards long. You'd have three chapels. And, uh, and so this is, this is what they look like. Isn't that amazing? That's a typical Welsh chapel. And there was, no, um, there was no microphone, so they had the pulpit at a kind of level so that everybody could hear. The thing with the Welsh chapels, and this, was, this is a bit of a view as to what it looks like from the pulpit. I spent a lot of years in pulpits like that. And the thing is, is what was interesting is because of the age of these churches, these pews, you can't actually see it on this picture here, but some of the pews were actually bought by families. Because that was the way they raised money to build the church. But they took it a step further. They, that, and not in this chapel, but very commonly in chapels, the pew would have a little name on it, like Madden, if it was my pew. My family pew, thank you very much. Don't you be thinking about sitting in my pew. In fact, to make sure you don't sit in my pew, I'm going to put a little door on it. You just have little doors, like this wide, right? And you, you open up your door, you get in, and then you shut that thing and lock it, thank you. It had locks on it, little twisty locks. I'm not joking. I'm deadly serious. And so what would happen as a 21, 22-year-old preacher, I'd sit there and you'd have one person sat here, one person over there, one person here, one person there, one person there, because this is where I sit. This is my family pew. And they'd be scattered around. You'd be like, there's like 12 people there all over the shop. But with some sadness, this is what a lot of Welsh chapels look like now. Not even joking. That's what they look like now. Hundreds of years later-ish. Why? Why? The reason why is because they lost their urgency. They were so busy shutting the doors that they lost the actual reason why they existed in the first place. And the reason they existed in the first place was to tell people their story, that they were placed on purpose. And they were placed on purpose so that they would increasingly tell people about Jesus. That's why they lost their 
urgency. And so we have an increased urgency towards sharing and growing. You want to know why we talk about church growth? Because if we share our story, people are going to become Christians. And as people become Christians, they're going to come to the church and they're going to go to the community groups. We're going to need more community groups running more alphas because they're going to want to know. And so it naturally grows. So it's not growth for growth's sake. It's actually because church growth follows sharing the story by you and me. And it is my desire, friends, that we don't end up like this. Now, you might look around the room, you might be very pragmatic and go, well, that wouldn't look anything like that. What are you talking about? You understand? It's incredibly quick. It takes one generation. One generation busy locking doors. Busy shutting, let's just stay the way we are. Let's just keep things the way they are. Let's close our little door. This is what we like. This is comfortable. This is cheers. Everybody knows my name. And it'll end up like that. And then what happens is the world, the culture comes along and they buy these places and they turn them into beautiful homes. They repurpose them. You could say they redeem them. But we have an increased urgency towards sharing and growing because we don't want to end up like that. Glenn, you're, you're being really, wow. I mean, you're being a bit melodramatic, a bit over the top. Mm-mm. I've stood in those places. Sarah has played the organ in those places. My dad has preached in those places. Lyndon probably has preached in those places. It's a really weird feeling. There's this, <clears throat> let's just stay the way they are. And they don't start there. It's a trajectory there. We need to do everything we can, and it starts with urgency. Why the urgency? Why the increased growth? Why the increase in sharing? And the reason is this, and if you're just exploring faith, I want you to hear this. The reason is, is the story that we have is so unique that it has to be shared. Our story about Jesus is so unique. It's life transforming. It is city changing. It turns the world upside down. It, tr- it causes that which is half dead to thrive. It turns families around. It turns lives around. It truly transforms. It's the answer. That's why as Christians, if you're thinking, wow, it's been a long time since I've been in church and this guy is passionate. Here's why I'm passionate. Here's why I yell a bit when I preach. Here's why I pace up and down. Because there's an urgency around the story because I've seen the story change lives. And I'm also smart enough to be able to look at our culture and see that there's no answer there. I'm a reasonably smart guy. I've got a master's degree. I've got, and not in theology either, by the way, just in case you go, well, it's bound to be. No, I, I understand. I spent a long time working in the marketplace as a teacher and a school administrator. I've rubbed shoulders with people who reject Christianity, but they have not found any answer. Whereas I'm thinking, here's my story. Here's my story. Hear it. It radically changes lives and friends, Christian friends. Your friends and family need to hear this story. So here's why every week I say, share your story. Here's how you share your story. You even have a piece of paper in your hand, hopefully, that will give you an idea as to how to share your story. Share your story so that we can maintain the urgency that Jesus himself started 2,000 years ago. In order to help me do this, though, answer this question, why the urgency, I want to very, very quickly look at a story in Acts. Acts is an interesting book. Acts chapter 4. Acts essentially is the story of what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. 
And this motley crew of guys and, and ladies got together, didn't know anything. There were, lots of them were uneducated, and yet it says that they turned the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. In fact, I would say that they, made, uh, they, made, they shifted history. They shifted history. Just a small group who willingly shared their story. And so we're going to jump into one particular story to show you the urgency. Acts chapter 4. Is everybody with me? Amen. Amen. Okay. Acts chapter 4, let's start at verse 16. And I'm going to give you some background, but I just want to just draw your attention to this one verse. Acts chapter 4, verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? (laughs) It's a group of leaders, Sadducees, church leaders, actually were asking the question, what are we going to do with these men? Who are these men? Well, in particular, we're talking about two men. Both of whom had been disciples of Jesus. One of them was Peter. Peter was well known. If you read about Peter in the, in the, um, in the four Gospels, you'll see that Peter was a bit rough around the edges. He was compulsive. He was one of those guys who spoke first and thought after. He wasn't very trustworthy. I have a vision, I don't know why, of, of, of him being, being big and a bit bit cumbersome. And, and that's probably not true for reasons I will tell you in a second. But Peter tend to shoot his mouth off and spoke before thinking, he was, he was not trustworthy. You read it. It's amazing. And then the other guy, John, John who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, was much more gentle. But what, something interesting about John is, is that John brought his mum in, right, to, to, to talk to Jesus, so that, to find out whether it would be possible for John and his brother to sit on either side of Jesus when Jesus goes back to heaven. Now, when we read that, we kind of go, oh, but think about it. Hey, mum, would you go and talk to Jesus for him? Because can you ask him, please? I, I'm not doing it, but you, you can go. He's that, he's that equivalent as a teacher. He's, a, he's that parent. That, it's that kid whose parent comes in on parents' teacher's night and starts yelling at the teacher because the teacher hasn't recognized that their little Billy is the best. And Billy would never do that. He's, that's, that's the scenario. So if you're that parent, well, I hope you feel some conviction. I used to say to my parents at the beginning of every year, I said, listen, I won't believe everything that your kid says about you if you don't believe everything they say about me. Deal? Deal. And they'd all clap. Brilliant. That's John. Bit of, bit of a sissy. Not, you know, not willing to fight his own fight. So you've got John and Peter had come into contact with Jesus and they'd had their lives radically changed. They were both uneducated, but both completely transformed. You see, as a church, this is what we want to do. Three things. I didn't put them on your notes, but I, I'd love for you to write these down. We need to be a church where it's okay to come as you are. Come as you are. Everybody is, ex- is accepted. Everybody is welcome through those doors. It doesn't matter what experience or world, vision, uh, world view or lifestyle that you have, you are welcome. You are welcome in this church. It's a church for everyone. When you are here, though, something will probably, we're praying, will happen to you and you will be transformed. Second thing, come as you are, but you're going to get transformed. Because that's what Jesus does. These men came as they were, uneducated fishermen, and they were transformed. And then they made a difference. Come as you are, be transformed, make a difference. Isn't that a good church plan? If you're in the south, we're glad you're here. Come as you are. 
But be transformed by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And it might mean that your lifestyle and your experiences need to change after you come into the knowledge of Him. We don't expect you to change before you come to know Jesus. You're welcome to belong before you believe. But then you make a difference. These men have been transformed. They've been transformed. And so these leaders brought these men in and they are saying, who are these men? Well, I've just explained to you who they are. And then they carry on. Everyone, this is the leaders of the church at the time, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. So here's what happened. Here's what happened, very quickly. Peter and John were heading into the temple one morning, which shows us that big church is okay for those people who don't like big church. Big church is good. That's, that's what was happening. They went to big church. And then there was a man who had never walked, been placed by the gates, a gate beautiful, and you can read it in Acts chapter 3, and he'd never walked, he'd been placed there to, to raise money, to beg. And so Peter and John ended, long story short, read it, encourage you, it's a great story. They, they looked at him and they said, rise up and walk. And this man jumps up and starts running around. And it's absolute bedlam, it's beautiful. And unsurprisingly, a crowd start coming around and they want to know what happened. And this guy who used to be lame and now can walk goes, it was them, Peter and John. So Peter and John, especially Peter, typical preacher, goes, right, crowd, I'm going to preach. And he preaches. And it says that thousands were added to their number that day. And the leaders of the church freak out. Which is always kind of interesting to me. So what they did is, they said this, we can't deny that it happened, but to stop this thing, we've got to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Yeah, that's going to work. Because I'm stood here today on the shoulders of those two men who were unwilling to stop talking. So these leaders threw them in jail and had a meeting. Church leaders are good at that. Not throwing in jail, you're safe. But the meetings. Let's meeting this thing up. We're going to sort this thing out. Let's have a meeting. Meet you at Starbucks. Good. Next day. Okay. So, they bring them back in. They spent a night in jail and they said then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Stop that. We're not having any of this miracle nonsense Not all this life transformation, thank you very much. You stop it. So here's what's really interesting about this. Because what they're saying is stop the urgency. Calm down. Close your little door, little lock. Because we like the way things are. That's what they're basically saying. No more urgency. And here's the difference. These men, these leaders in the church, and you read it, these were high-end leaders. These were powerful leaders in the church. One of them was the high priest. These men had the same end in mind. They wanted life transformation, but they believed that they had the correct way of doing it, which we'll see in a second. They wanted the same things, but with one big difference. Jesus. No Jesus. You can chase after that if you want. No Jesus. You can believe what you want to believe. This is what our culture says to you. This is what your friends and family, this is what maybe you think. You can believe what you want to believe. What is good for you is good for you, but don't mention Jesus. Don't you be mentioning Jesus. Because even us in our culture, with your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones, your people, your circles, your workplaces, we all want the same thing. We want life transformation. But no Jesus. Don't be mentioning Jesus. 
So we want the life transformation, but the challenge that people have is they're in the middle of trouble, transition, and tension. Three T's. You're welcome. You can write it down. Easy to remember. Every, they're, they're in trouble. Their marriages are in trouble. Their families are in trouble. Their kids are in trouble. Their businesses are in trouble. It's trouble. Then there's the tension that that trouble brings, the tension in relationships, the tension in finances, the tension that's there that you can just feel it in the house. You can feel it in their lives. So they want the same thing, but they're struggling with the trouble. They're struggling with the transition. And then there's this, oh, and transitions is, is that the, the families in Kelowna, in the mission, those that we're trying to share the story are going through transition. They're having children. Children are leaving. They're they're wanting something different. They want to move. They want a better job. They want a better car. It's always transition, trouble, tension. Trouble, transition, tension. Tension, trouble, transition. I won't say it again because I might get it wrong. So they want life transformation, but they're struggling with those three T's and have no way of finding relief from it. And then these two men, the church, if you like, come in and go, Jesus, no, don't mention that name. Don't mention that name. Our culture says too exclusive. Too exclusive. Christianity, too exclusive. You know, you're, you're just against everything. Uh, are you not against us? But anyway, that's a different conversation for another time. Um, so this is what we're going to do. October 14th, we're actually starting a series. Oh, let me just say this. Because these men cannot deny that something happened. So here's the beautiful thing about the story. People can't deny that there's something incredible about Jesus. There's a fascination with Jesus. That Jesus, more than even just mentioning God, people want to know more about Jesus, but aren't willing to actually take the step to find out more. That that they, that they want the same thing of us. They can't deny that there's something special that's happening in the lives, I hope, of the people who follow him. They can't deny your story. They can't deny your event. They can't deny your experience. And so when you share your story, it triggers something in somebody's mind and go, man, I can't deny that there's something different about this person. I really hope you're that person, by the way. I hope you're not the grumpy Christian. Do you want to be, do you want to be a Christian just like me? It's great. I'm angry all the time. Because I'm angry. You know, no, actually, you can keep that don't want that Christianity. But if you've actually got a Jesus spirit, the spirit of the living God alive and well in you, it's going to come out of you. People are going to want to know more about it and they cannot deny. So in October, this one big Sunday that we've been talking a lot about, we're starting a new series on October 14th and, uh, and we're going to be looking at some of the big questions that people have. This is just as an aside because people have questions and if you're not sure how to answer them, bring them to church. And we'll start the discussion for you. I'm going to be specifically talking to the unchurched in mind. So Christians, you get to listen in. But I'm going to imagine that the room is filled with people who are skeptics and agnostics and atheists. And I'm going to preach and speak on these subjects, the Bible, God's existence, faith versus science, exclusivity, is, God, is Jesus the only way, uh, suffering and evil, and is Jesus the Son of God? That's just six of many apologetic questions. But bring, come, this is why we're pushing it. This is why there's an urgency, because we believe these are the questions that people are asking. Because people can't deny that lives are transformed. They cannot deny the name of Jesus and your story. I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, I did the pastor drop. The pastor drop is, 
when somebody asks me, what do you do for a living, for, your, for the living? And I go, well, either this is going to be a really long conversation or you're going to want the conversation to stop straight away. And they go, what, really? I went, I'm a pastor. Oh. And I'm not joking. Sometimes conversation stops. I hate church. Well, some days, I'm not a huge fan either. I've got to admit, because some days it's really tough. You know, I'm just being real. But then sometimes the conversation opens up. And here's what I get. Don't like church because of experiences that I've had. This is what people will say when they were growing up. Don't like this, don't like that, don't like this. And I often say, well, why don't you tell me about the God that you don't believe in? And they'll, go, oh. and they'll start telling me. And I'll go, it's funny because I don't believe in that God either. I believe in Jesus, who is God. But here's what I know about Jesus. And people are fascinated with Jesus. They're fascinated with your story. They're fascinated with the story of Jesus. Don't shy away. You cannot argue with a skeptic. You can't bash somebody over the head with a 12-pound Bible into heaven. Go on, keep going. I'm just going to argue and argue and argue and get angry with you. And then you're going to just come and know that Jesus is all love. It doesn't work that way. Tell them your story. Well, you know, I, you, does that mean you shouldn't engage in skept- with skeptics? I'm not saying that. I love talking to people about the big questions they have. That's why we're doing a series. I love Jesus and I love the story he's given me and the life transformation I see. That's what people want to hear. So Peter and John say this, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have believed. For those of you who are looking at that chapter, you'll see actually it doesn't say that. What we have seen and heard, that's what it says. Because this isn't a theological debate. This doesn't require these uneducated men to have all the answers. What it requires them to have is a story about what they've seen and heard. That's all they need. That's all they need. That's what shifted history. This transformational event shifted history. And they're saying, how can we not tell people? See, I saw something, I heard something, and I have to tell people because it transforms lives. They weren't engaging in a big, deep theological debate. And Christian friends, if you're struggling with the idea of talking to somebody about Jesus, then get it out of your mind that you need all the answers and the right things to say about all the different hot topics. It's okay to say, you know what, I don't understand that either. That confuses me as well. But here's what I do know. What I have seen in my life, is this. What I have seen in other people's lives is this. This is what I have heard happens. This is what I've heard in myself. This is what changed me. This is my story. And you, regardless of how educated the person might be and how well-versed they are and how good they are at arguing, it doesn't matter because you're not arguing with them. You're just telling them your story because they can't stop you believing your story. Can they? You can't stop seeing and hearing something. You saw it, you heard it. That's what this expression is from these guys. They saw this transformational event and you can't stop us from seeing and hearing something that we've seen and heard. You may have a really great argument and your argument might maybe go, oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. But still, this is what I've seen and heard. It's a story worth telling. Wow, it's a story worth telling. 
I heard this story the other day, and it's worth telling. Dudley from Arkansas, true story, fell in love with a beautiful girl and decided the time was right. So he picked her up one night in his car and drove her to the lake. And at the lake, there was a canoe. And they both got in the canoe, and he paddled his love across the lake to an island. And on the island at the beach, there was a table already set for a beautiful dinner. This is a story worth telling. And they sat and they ate dinner and they enjoyed it. And then they went back to the place where they'd left the canoe and the canoe had gone. And in its place was a speedboat. I know. Guys, take note. They got in the speedboat and they kind of raced around the lake for a little bit. And then they stopped at the, uh, at the, at the dock, at the slip. And there was a stretched limousine waiting for them. And they got out of the speedboat and they get into the limousine and they are driven to the local airfield. And at the airfield, there's a small plane. And they get into the plane and then they take off and fly into the hills. And in the middle of the hills is there's this, this chapel. And they land near the chapel, walk to the chapel, they go into the chapel and there's candles lit everywhere and it's set up like a wedding. And right in the middle on the altar there's a card and she opens the card and it's her name in it and she turns around and there he is on his knee with an engagement ring. Wow! That's a story. Huge celebration. They get back into the plane. Oh, sorry, they go out of the the chapel and there's a beaten up old truck. They get into the truck. She said yes, by the way, (laughs) obviously. Old truck, they drive off and they go to a restaurant where all their friends and family are waiting for them to celebrate. That's a story worth telling. I tell you, I bet it's been told a lot of times. But he doesn't finish there. Because at the end of the dinner, he quietened everybody down and he said this. The car is just symbolic of our future normal times together. He said, the canoe is symbolic of the times where we're going to have to work hard together as a couple. He said, the speedboat is when we're going to have fun together. The limousine is when something else seems to take over our life and we feel like we're just being driven. He said, the plane is symbolic of our spiritual journey together and the old truck is symbolic of us growing old together. Wow. I reflect back on my proposal to Sarah... And it was basically, well, if you're not doing anything else for the next 65 years, you know, should we get married? All right, then. Clan did know outside the public toilets. Not joking. They were Victorian public toilets, to my defense. They were very pretty. Dad will know it well. He was a police officer in that area. It was very romantic. And that's a story worth telling. And it brings a response. It brings conviction. (laughs) A little bit. It brings inspiration. It might bring transformation. Like, I'm going to change. It's a story worth telling. Your story, when it comes to Jesus, is worth telling. Not what you've learned, not what you think, not what you have uh, studied, not the cute answers that you got from Pastor Glenn when you come to the FAQ series, not any of that. Your story is worth telling. You, how you came into relationship with Jesus, that is worth telling. And that makes people lean in because they will be inspired. They might be convicted and it might lead to life transformation. That's why there's an urgency behind what we do. Christians believe something happened, an event that shifted history. 
But what was it? What did they see and hear? What was it that caused them to do that? What was the event? What was it that said, I can't stop talking about it? What was it that caused Christians before us to willingly face persecution and torture? Christians that were literally ripped apart by wild animals. Christians that were dipped into oil and set alight as human candles in the courtyard of Nemo. What was it? Because it's more than just a cute story. It's more than just a belief framework. It's more than just a crutch. It's more than just, well, this will help you get through the difficult times. It's just another spiritual thing that you can add to your arsenal if you want it. It's more than what people actually think Christianity is. It's far deeper than that because why would you be willing to go through all that and even death itself, not just quick death, but horrible, long death from the martyrs that have gone before us. What is it? What did they see and hear? And then the question has to be, have you seen and heard it? What did they see and hear that was so big they were willing to risk their lives that is so big that it still changes life today in the mission in Kelowna? What is it? By what power or what name did you do this, they asked. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, that's a bit of a dig. So you're having a go at us because we we just helped heal a man. But you know, okay, if you want to start there, that's great. Shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. You know who was saying this? Peter, who cowered in front of a little girl denying Jesus days before. What was it that changed? What was it that made a compulsive, loudmouthed man who, who really spoke and then thought and was untrustworthy. What was it that could literally stick his finger in front of the leaders of the church and say, no, this. What was it? What made it different? It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Oh, I bet it went quiet then. You crucified him. You, the leaders. It's by that name that I've been transformed. It's by that name that that where I was cowering cowardly days before, now I can stand in front of you and see thousands come to know Jesus. It's by that name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You see, these leaders had been in the presence of Jesus. They were there. They broke their own laws to get him crucified. So I bet you there was a bit of this and a bit of anger. I bet they hated that, those words. We read the Bible sometimes, we skip over this, but the room would have gotten very, very quiet at that point. But Peter's not done. He's saying, look, you crucified him, remember? But whom God raised from the dead. Here's the event, friends. Here's what they saw and heard. Here's why the urgency. Here's why churches in the past go decaying and die because they forget what they have seen and heard. They forget the urgency. And the urgency is based on that this man stands before you healed. God raised from the dead. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. What are they referring to? It's an old messianic uh, prophecy from Psalm 118 where they reject the stone because it's not worth it. And, and, and so these men are the builders. Wow, it would have gotten quiet then. Because Peter's saying this, the Old Testament predicted you that you would reject, that you would actually have in the hands, your hands, the Messiah. The one they were waiting for, they, they would experience him and reject him. Is that you? 
Have you been in the presence of Jesus but rejected him? Have you been in a church maybe just like this? Maybe it was years ago. And you felt it and you went, no, I think I know a better way. Because that's what they felt. They saw and heard it all. They saw Jesus smashed onto a cross. They heard Jesus say it is finished. They heard him say as he was hanging there in agony that no matter what, they, they forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They heard Jesus. They saw that it go dark. They saw that life itself died on the cross. They saw Jesus hanging on the cross with every sin and shame that you and I have committed and everybody else who believes in him on there with him and it died with him. They saw it and then three days later they saw him raised from the dead along with 500 other people. See, we forget. We forget that actually these leaders could have gone, whoa, 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 what, what about this guy? He, 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 he didn't see it. He didn't see the miracle. What about, they, they just went quiet. Because Jesus appeared to so many people, they had no evidence contrary to that. Because those 500 people saw and heard it as well. And we, can I say this lovingly, but we in our chronological arrogance think that people, and this is a C.S. Lewis thing, that hundreds of years ago weren't as smart as us. They were. We go, oh well, you know. Even though they witnessed it, well, you need to come and hear when I talk about the Bible because we get into that a little bit. You were in his presence and you rejected him. And then they go on. Then they drop the bomb. It was, if you thought this was bad, then they went... Here's the urgency. This is why we strive for more. This is why I encourage you to think about who the four people are that you're going to pray about and invite to come to church. Here's why as a pastor I call you, please, the urgency to share your story, share the South. You've been placed on purpose. Here's why. Here's the ultimate reason that I can stand here confident of the Scriptures but also confident of the life transformation. Here's the why we do Alpha. Here's why we do One Big Sundays. Here's why we're striving for a larger church, not just so we can feel better, but here's why. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name. We've just been singing it. Thank you, Sarah. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must save. Because ultimately salvation is what we're all looking for. We want life transformation. We want saving from the tension. We want saving from the trouble. We want saving from the transition. We need relief. We're looking for help. We're looking for relief from the shame that we might be feeling or the tension that we're feeling. And Peter stands in front of these church leaders and says, salvation is found in no other name. Because friends, the most loving thing I can share with you this morning is that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven forgiven people and there are people in our city who need to hear your story not your brilliance not your education not your anything they need to hear your story because I believe in a God big enough that has placed you purposefully at your school in your classroom in your workplace in your family in your neighborhood in your house placed on purpose to share your story people need to hear the life-transforming reality that there was an event and it changes lives then and it still changes lives now because good people, it's not good enough. Forgiven people, 
through Jesus. That's why there's an urgency. And how did they respond? The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Oh, Father, give us boldness. Because that's all you need. History has to be shared through story. Story needs boldness in order for it to be effective. Give us boldness, Lord. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were just ordinary men. With, <laughs> I love that the scriptures highlight this. Awkward. With no special training. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And here's the irony. These leaders, listen, I'm going to finish with this. These leaders had been in the presence of Jesus, but they'd never been with Jesus. They let him go. Christian friends, Jesus followers, you have been with Jesus. That's your declaration. That's your belief. That's your that's what you stand on. That's what you want your kids to know because you believe deep down inside that there's life transformation, there's thriving in that. But we need to take that story. That's why there's the urgency. So we could let October 14th come and go. Not say anything to anybody, not hand out the postcards that are on your seats. You just let it go. Or we can pray for boldness, just to share your story. You need to have faith in the story that Jesus has given you. Not everybody has an amazing story. But there's lots of people who need to hear your story. Your story of salvation. And then it also makes me wonder, if there's anybody in the room who you've been in the presence of this message, you've seen and heard people who are passionate about it, and you're sensing something shift inside of you. You're in the presence of Jesus, not me. But the Spirit of God that is living and alive is in this place. Don't leave without having filled out this Connect card that says, I need to talk to somebody. I want prayer. We've been with Jesus, friends. We've seen and heard. We believe in this history shift. And our city needs your story. And then bring them to church so that they can feel free to explore. Amen? Here's what could happen October 14th. Just close your eyes and just imagine this. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing new agey. All right? Just close your eyes. And just think about you not being able to find a parking space on October 14th. Because overnight, this church attendance, not engagement, attendance has doubled because every one of us has brought somebody to church who needs to hear your story. And maybe you will be the one that starts their story off. The story that God has already initiated because we believe that faith comes through Jesus and comes from his initiation. But maybe you're the one that they're waiting for. Maybe you're the one that Jesus is going to use. And you bring them. And we're frantically trying to find space to put them because this church has decided to share their story in the next week or so. Father, it amazes me, Lord, that you chose Peter and John and the group like them. But it amazes me even more that you chose me. It amazes me even more, Lord, that you radically transformed my life. And I have seen and heard the difference. 
I have felt your presence and my life will never be the same again for eternity. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross taking the punishment that I deserve for the sin that I have willingly committed. And it broke you as it broke me once. But Lord, I thank you that you rose again and that, Lord, that you beat death and then you gave me new life. And Lord, I know that as I pray this, that there are many people in this room and listening online who go, yes, that's my story too. Their experience was different, but the story of transformation is the same. Father, I pray, I thank you that you chose me. And Lord, I pray for the people in the room that perhaps have drifted, that they've been in your presence, that they know you, Jesus, but they have drifted from their true calling. Lord, I pray that even as we sing now, that God, that they would just whisper a prayer that maybe they've not prayed in a long time, which is forgive me. And like the prodigal, they just make their way back to you. And Lord, I pray for those in the room that don't know you, haven't come into contact with you in any way, but they sense there's something more. And Lord, I pray that you would do the work only you can do and draw them and speak to them. That Lord, today would be the day of salvation because there is no other name. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray they would fill out that connect card. That Lord, that they would seek prayer. They would seek somebody to talk to and that their life story, their true life story would start forgiven, free, transformed. Hallelujah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing Come to the Altar, I believe, which is a wonderful song about forgiveness and confession. And so we want to finish 